What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the EX Performance Podcast. Uh, this week, Jeremy and I are continuing our case study um, in certain athlete profiles, or as we call them, avatars that we commonly deal with. So this week, uh, we are covering the delivery limited CrossFit competitor. You know, last week we covered the tension limited tactical athlete. We talked about a person who uh, really good engine, just can't produce enough force or, or hold the positions required to be considered what most would, would look at as strong. Uh, this week we're flipping the script a little bit. This is a high level CrossFit competitor that I'm thinking of, one of my longest running uh, individual athletes, sanctionals level CrossFitter, who is super strong, super fit, really good skills. Um, but her biggest limitation is the ability to deliver oxygen to the muscles that she's using. So Jeremy, you know, I, I've got Ashley in mind. I don't know if you got somebody uh, in mind on your end, but, but that's how we're starting. Yeah, I got, uh, I got a couple we could talk about. I'll tell you what, it feels weird we're doing this on a Wednesday. <laughs> I know, I know. So for the audience, we're switching up our, our time. So if we're a little off, that's our yeah. best. But no, man, it's funny. I was, I was uh, thinking about it before we popped on here and I was like, you know, typically I'm in a programming mood all Sunday and I'm like, I'm kicking on all gears. I'm like, I got to like study up a little bit for today. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. I yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Honestly, man, when I think of delivery limited athletes, uh, I mean, we've all seen Taylor, one of my higher level CrossFit athletes work out. He's like the perfect picture. If you put him and Ashley together. Um, of what it truly looks like to be a delivery limited athlete. Yeah. So um, kind of just to, to define some terms for the, for the audience. So when we say delivery limited athlete, what we mean by that is these athletes have a good, you know, respiratory system. They can, they can breathe with the best of them when they're on bikes and rowers and ergs and stuff like that. Um, they've got a good heart and delivery system. But when we look at them holistically, when we put them through a battery of tests, what we see is that they just don't relax the compression in their tissue in between movements. And over the course of a workout, it adds up on, in terms of you know, them saying they're blowing up or them saying they hit a wall. And it's not a true conditioning limiter, right? They've, they've got a good engine, but when we are in the demands of a sport like CrossFit, where you have to cycle different movements, different weights, things like that. They just don't let the tension off of their muscle enough to let good blood flow happen. Yeah. Oftentimes I think it's an, it's a, I think it's a more complex and more advanced way of looking at just like saying muscle, like muscular endurance, really. Um, I think those two things can get blended, but they're not really the same. Like, like someone can have the volume and capacity if you keep them in like a aerobic ability but as soon as in a crossfit workout you start going past that threshold that's where we start to see the issue with the delivery limitation yeah and, and how i explain like give an analogy I just, I just gave it to someone the other day one of my newer athletes who who is this uh they're uh, just a delivery limited athlete they're not a crossfit competitor but they're kind of a more muscle-bound military guy um what i kind of explained to them was like okay think about a sponge with some pipes running through it or some straws and that sponge is your muscle tissue. The straws are your um, arteries and veins. Every time you squeeze that sponge, you know, water would flow out, water would flow back in. But when we're doing a workout, let's just say wall balls, right? We've got a bunch of wall balls. It's sub-threshold. It shouldn't be that much, especially for someone with, you know, for this guy, a 400-something pound front squat. But when he's squeezing that tissue, squeezing that sponge, 
at first you get just a local compression reaction, like the tissue itself stays tight. After that, it goes a little bit more into like blocking venous return. So blood can flow into the muscle, but not flow out. And then at certain weights and certain movements and certain levels of fatigue, it blocks off all blood flow. So you basically got a mm -hmm. tourniquet effect. And that's what I mean for the audience when we're talking about delivery limited, their heart and lungs are fine and they can perfuse just fine. But at a certain level of tension and even not maximal level, some people it's like 30% of their one rep max, they just occlude flow. And so what we really got to work on is one, modulating tension with some of the aerobic work that we do and some of the ways that we get them to move better. But we also do that with, you know, strengthening their left ventricle so that it can push through that, that tension, um, getting their, building their network of, of arteries, veins, and everything else with their delivery system so it's more robust and it can, can handle a little bit more tension on the muscle itself. I think uh, for knowing me and you, we can get super deep in the weeds here. Um, explain to the audience what you talk about when you talk about working on the left ventricle system. Like what would be the purpose and benefit of that? Yeah. So if we think about the heart, the heart has four chambers. And the one that we're really looking at is the left ventricle, the, the, the big meaty one on the bottom part of the heart that when it squeezes, that blood that's in there flows up through the aorta and out to the rest of the body. So that is the major muscular piece of the heart that pushes the blood out to the rest of the body. But what a lot of people forget about is it's not just doing it in isolation. So arteries have muscle in them, right? They're lined with muscle. And so as they're squeezing that left ventricle, there's also the arteries doing some work with it. The breathing mechanics of the diaphragm help with blood flow. And then just the way that your body uses the, the venous system to return to the heart. Like every time you squeeze your calf, it actually pumps blood back up to the heart. So that whole delivery system and why we say delivery limited athlete is relative to their other parts of the system. So their, their ability to create tension, so their nervous system, and then their ability to uh, hold tension and create power is better than their ability to deliver oxygen. So they can breathe just fine. Their lungs... They can lift a lot of weight because they can, they've got a good developed nervous system, but their left ventricle and that delivery system is their major limiter. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of understand that because I think, I know we've talked about in the past with these high, high level CrossFit athletes almost developing some sort of left ventricular hypertrophy. <laughs> like, because yeah. like, they're, they're so good. The Russians called it bull heart, man. Yeah. They did. Like you're so good at pushing through and oxygenating blood that um, you essentially develop kind of like a, an adverse effect of it. But um, yeah, I think it's just important to note that. Yeah. And so that's, that's one, you know, training, uh, I should say side effect that's, that's some athletes will um, tend to get. And then other ones, that's what we're trying to induce. Right. So, yep. you know, that's where we get into like prescriptive programming and looking at our athletes across a body of tests because the trap that a lot of people fall into when they are delivery limited is I'm just going to do more conditioning. I'm going to yeah. do more high intensity work and make it suck because that's what I suck at. And what they are doing is making their compensation worse. Yeah. And I think uh, a couple things here. Um, one, it comes in different movement patterns too, right? Like you'd have an athlete who can wobble all day long. And then you ask Taylor to get up on a pull-up bar. He does three pull-ups and now his biceps and shoulders can't relax. And now, now he's starving for oxygen and vice versa. Like, for example, if I use myself as an example, I can, I can press all day long and pull. As soon as my legs blow up, I'm done. 
right? And so, and that's when we get like in the individual aspect of programming, like saying just simply like, oh, you're a delivery limited athlete. Well, in what sense, if I have Alan do Karen for time, he's not even trickling up on yeah, the mox monitor that we use. We proved it. He gets better. <laughs> the, the weirdo gets better while he does wall yeah. He delivers versus, too much oxygen. Yep. Versus when we've done road tests for him, it's the opposite. He gets 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, and he's desatting right away. Um, so it's important to note that. And then when you talk about, oh, and then we can get into this right now, like how does how do we improve that, right? Like how do we improve muscle endurance or not muscle, sorry, not muscle endurance, delivery system? Uh, well, someone's a delivery limited athlete and you want to get them more aerobic. Um, in my opinion, if you're having them to just do one single modality of exercise, all they're going to do is occlude in that exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so oftentimes, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I'm going to kick it to you. Finish, finish. <laughs> I would say like oftentimes, like when I had for Taylor, I, I utilize a lot of like round the world stuff, right? Like one minute here, one minute there. You're not allowing people to fully uh, contract muscle fibers for that long. So they're not getting contracted, thus deli- getting better at delivering oxygen. Yeah. Um, versus the classic, like, oh, I'll just do a 10K row. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it, man. And with one of the hallmark signs for me when I have a tension limited athlete is when they're on their rest day or their active recovery, they, they're like, I'm going to go do a run. I'm going to go do a 5K run. And they come back the next day just destroyed, even though they were at a slow pace. Because some of the mechanisms that we don't truly understand with like muscular fatigue are, are related to like cramping. So when you overwork a muscle or you overstimulate it and it holds tension for a long period of time, at some point it stops relaxing. It'll fire, but it won't relax all the way completely. And that inhibits blood flow. So for one athlete who's a tension, uh, you know, I'm sorry, delivery limited athlete, he may go to a 5k run, come back the next day and he's wrecked at at a conversation pace. And that's exactly it. Like you said, with, with my delivery limited athletes, I typically do two things. I switch the movement modality and that's a little bit more to like a, a glycogen shunt thing. So if I'm, if I'm running on one end, then I'll flip it around and do a ski erg on the other or, or whatever, you know, uh, row and then aerodyne and move those things around, but also do it for periods of time where I know just about the time they'll hit that threshold, even at a prescribed pace, we switch it up. So we don't give them the option to over um, yep. create too much tension and they can't deliver. A good way I think about it as well is um, if you could, if you're listening to this, you could understand the word cyclical. Uh, anytime I program for someone, I'm wanting to improve their delivery. I think of, and let's say it's a little bit more advanced. So we're we're past that kind of round the world mixing modalities, and we're actually doing say metcons. We're trying to get better at a certain time domain. Um, I think of cyclical. Like what can they do just before they start to get tired, and then change it up. So oftentimes for me, if I look at like something like a 12 minute AMRAP right? 12 minute AMRAP of let's say 20 double unders, eight wall balls and five pull-ups, right? For most of our athletes that we coach, like those numbers are very doable all day long. And what I'm looking at is for 12 minutes, they are essentially delivering oxygen to get the muscular endurance further and further and further. And you can, um, versus if I said do 12 minute AMRAP, 50 double unders, 50 wall balls, 50 pull-ups, they're going so far into wall walls and so far into pull-ups, you're losing the, like, the training effect that we're going for. Yeah, and that's, that's where I think, you know, like I was saying, some people will take a perceived feeling like, oh, my legs blow up on wall balls. I need to do wall balls all the time. Or another one recently <laughs> is like, 
hey, I blow up when I'm rowing, I need to row all the time. And what they do is they make that compensation worse. So they'll, they'll get really good at dealing with like lactate. Like they'll get really good at being in that state and they'll compensate well, but it's not as good as if they fix the limiting problem. And so I'll give you a 500 meter row desaturation thing that I use with some of my delivery limited athletes. Instead of just saying row 500 at X pace, right? So I could take that off their 2K, their 20 minute pace. You pick the thing. But with a delivery limited athlete, we already said it, like they, they contract really well with their muscle fibers. They don't relax. So what I will do with them is say I want them to average a, I'm just going to throw a two minute 500 out. Yeah. I will start them at 210 for the first 100, 205 for the second 100, two minutes for the third, 155, 150, so that towards the end of that row, they're actually pushing it to where they push themselves, but at the beginning, it's under stimulating them. So the mm -hmm. average time is still two minutes per 500, so it gets that thing, but that desaturation repeat means it's slowly desatting the whole time instead of some of these people who can, who can maintain a two minute 500 in that, but they're redlining the whole time. So we're not making them better at their limiter. Yeah. And another one I think is good to use if you're looking at ergs or even air bikes is um, like RPMs. I know we've talked about that is um, let's say you're doing that 500 or maybe even a thousand meter and you're like, Hey, for the first, first one minute or first interval, I want you to do it at 22 strokes per minute. Uh, second interval, you know, 24, Essentially, what you're doing is the first couple ones, you're you're changing up the rate of contraction, um, and that's something that the body's picking up on. <laughs> like if, yeah. if you're doing a 20 minute or a 20 strokes per minute row, that's vastly different effect at the same pace that a 30 strokes per minute row is. Yeah, and I think that's a difference in programming. That I say I'm giving my person 10 500 meter uh, row intervals with with two minutes between or one to one rest, right? I'm I'm looking for a two mm -hmm. minute pace. So for my delivery limit athletes, I'll do exactly what I'll said. I'll do those desaturation row uh, intervals for a, you know, just a standard um, like tension limited athlete or someone I'm trying to maintain an aerobic base on who doesn't over um, occlude. I will take them and say, yeah, do two minute pace the whole time, more prescriptive pacing. But it's just like linear progressions with barbells, right? Like I want you to do five sets of five at 75%. It's, it's the same thing with, with, interval based work or conditioning like that doesn't work for everybody some people it's the exact right thing they need some people it makes their their limiter uh worse um but that's the thing with testing and training and that doesn't come in like a single day you know yeah. honestly it, it takes me weeks on end to see something like that truly manifest um because it's not something you just yeah a plus b equals c a lot of times it's these individual factors and like you said energy system training is movement pattern specific you have some people who hold a crap ton of tension when they're doing burpees. They hold too much chest tension. They don't relax on the stand. Um, hamstrings are tight throughout the whole thing. And so once again, for them, burpees feel like death. You've got other ones who can just fall to the ground, bounce back up, time their breathing cadence with it, and actually improves blood flow. But I'm not going to mm -hmm. give a, a delivery limited athlete the same prescription or same pacing of burpees as I would someone who's, who's just a body weight ninja because they don't need it. Yeah, I think that's important to note. If you're those listening, we utilize the Moxie monitors to <laughs> to diagnose kind of which um, movements do that. Um, and it's not as easy as it sounds to just kind of like pick it. Like, oh, this is what you're. This is what's happening to you. So we do use objective data that 
shows us on our phones or iPad, whatever we're using at the gym that day um, with the Moxie monitor. Because that thing, when we started first ripping that out at the camps, <laughs> the looks that people got when like they were at 40% of their back squat and they're fully occluding as if it's a one rep max, like that is why you maybe can't do Karen unbroken. Like Karen, for all intents and purposes, is a 20 pound air squat. <laughs> <laughs> that's it and, and it shouldn't blow people some people up like it does and yeah. and you know when we go back to our camp we we talk to them about the biopsychosocial model right there's there's a biology piece to it there's your delivery there's how much you know contraction you put into that wall ball if you're throwing that wall ball to reach that target like you're trying to throw a world record shot put you're putting way too much energy into that <laughs> movement but some people do it so now they're they're trying to go for like a max effort vertical leap with a wall ball too much energy you're applying too much. It's like that baby snake analogy. Too much. You got to back it off a little bit. You know, then other ones, they're, they're, they'll make it cyclical. They do just enough of the movement to get it up there. They come back down. And they're not bracing with their diaphragm the whole time because it's just 20 pounds. Other people are, yep. are bracing like they're do, about to do a max effort back squat with their breathing. And you're like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And so that's just teaching those athletes exactly what what to do and how to move. We assist it with technology, um, but it's one of those hallmark things we see with people when they're like, oh, I'll do wall balls and I'll blow up. Sometimes it's just because they don't know how much force to apply and stuff like that. Sometimes they just move very poorly, so their body's got handbrakes on. But other times it's exactly that. Like they occlude yeah. at 30, 40% of their one rep max on a back squat, we're probably gonna see that in wall balls too. It could often occur with breeding patterns. I mean, I know we kind of touched on that, but I just, I just thought of something. Three years ago, remember, I came in the first day I was at the gym. Uh, it was Ashley, Lauren, and Lindsay. They're all there. The whole crew was there uh, doing ring muscle-ups. And so um, just a little story time. So I walk in. This is my first time uh, meeting Chris and the gym. And I walk in, and here's these, like, three phenomenal athletes. Um, and everyone always sings, like, oh, to be an elite-level athlete, what do you got to do? I'll tell you what, it's not 100 muscle-ups for time. It's nothing, like, crazy like that. These girls were doing sets of three with perfect breathing technique, repeatable efforts. That's um, it, man. Everybody wants to chase the intensity train because it looks good on the gram. Yep. But and so what that turns yeah, yeah, what that turns into is now it's okay. So we know we could do sustainable sets of three with proper breathing patterns. Well, now let's push that to six. Let's push that to eight, right? And then all of a sudden now we're in Wadapalooza and it's uh, bring muscle ups with a backpack on and running, right? Running is cyclical. You're able to breathe. Now let's get up on some ring muscle ups and let's breathe even more. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the inverse of that, like I've seen some people who, because their engine sucks, quote unquote, all they'll do is cyclical work. Hey, yeah. my engine sucks in, in a CrossFit competition context is what I'm talking about. So what do they do? Well, I'm going to run, bike, ski all day long. And they never put just enough load to get that response. And so now the first time they touch a barbell, they touch an implement, they do a high skilled gymnastics movement where you can't just focus on breathing and cadence and they lose that rhythm and they lose that delivery. And so that's why, you know, with our athletes, we'll, we'll build in difficulty of movement along with intensity of the workouts. So, you know, you're not jumping right into fatigue muscle ups if you haven't done muscle ups unfatigued, no metabolic stress, anything like that. And so then even the next step for me isn't muscle ups under fatigue. It's muscle ups with a respiratory challenge, maybe an EMOM style, right? Mm, now we're, now we're yep. doing 
uh, Airdyne bike to get your, to challenge your respiratory system on whatever on the minute. And then have you step into some muscle ups at a prescribed rep seam that is safe, but now we're, we're mixing the two. It's not full mode Metcon like a lot of people would yeah. get just because you blow up in, in muscle ups in a Metcon, you know, and that's yeah, where then I, even, Oh, good. Go ahead. No, finish. Oh, I was going to say, Alan, <laughs> this is a good Alan one. So yesterday. we're starting, we're starting to roll about it. Get me going. <laughs> Uh, you know, Alan yesterday, I posted about a workout I just had him do, right? We're doing a, we're doing a really heavy, uh, Olympic lifting phase. And so a lot of his, um, accessory days are just longer mixed modal work, but all aerobic pace. And so I gave him one the other day that was some dumbbell work and some gymnastics. And I posted about it on his fifth round. It looked like the first round he was under control. He was moving well. Every set and rep scheme was the same. It, he was in control. And what I mean by that is he wasn't doing a set of dumbbell snatches into muscle ups. And there were like sets of 10 and then sets of five on the muscle ups. He wasn't doing like seven, take a break in three, then the next round eight and two, then the next round nine, he was controlled throughout. And that is what we're looking for sustainable aerobic pace. But on our delivery limited athletes, what they'll typically do is start out sometimes sustainable quote unquote, and then redline. Yeah deeper into a workout instead of being aware and present and, and backing off before they need to so that they're in control. Yeah. I think uh, something that I kind of always do, and I know you had mentioned like challenging the aerobic system and then adding in gymnastics. And I, sometimes I'll take it even a step further. If I'm with an athlete that's maybe new to it, um, I'll go a step further after that and go complementary movements into a Metcon. So now we've established the aerobic base, right? In the EMOM, typically an EMOM setting, like you said. Um, and then now let's do like a 10 minute AMRAP. Let's say we're working on muscle ups. If we think of all the movement patterns that don't affect muscle ups, like lunges, uh, wall balls, arguable, depending on how your wall balls are, uh, biking, stuff like that that's like really now starting to ramp up into like mixed modal work, but it's not affecting your muscle ups. And then you go into non-complementary. And to me, that is the best expression of skill. So if we, that five-rounder you gave Alan, dumbbell snatches, dumbbell clean and jerks, that's two shoulder-intensive pieces, right? Uh, what, front squats was in there? What, uh, what was box the jumps and then bar and ring muscle-ups. High box jumps, yep. bar and ring muscle-ups. Yeah, so um, the box jumps kind of a, a, like a filler there. But you look at the dumbbell snatch, dumbbell clean and jerk, well, now that's competing with the ability to do ring muscle-ups. So a high-level athlete can sit there and do that. And I think oftentimes people want to jump into these sexy workouts. And truthfully, that's all that makes the open and, like, even online qualifiers is just they throw a bunch of, like, non-complementary movements together and say, like, they're the dumbest workouts. <laughs> like, let's yeah. just keep it real. Like, yeah. they're not good workouts because they just tear you apart and say, hey, do pull-ups after you already did a thousand meter of rowing. <laughs> yeah. So I'll give you a good example using a standard CrossFit workout where I see my delivery limited athletes like blow up Fran. Okay. Yeah. So Fran is a lower body squat, like a squat to press and then an upper body pull. So two completely opposite movements, right? Which should be doable. Like, okay, I do my 21 thrusters. I should relax my lower body and my pressing, you know, muscles. And then I should just be completely pulling and it should be easy with my delivery limited athletes. What they typically do is they maybe start out just fine, but around the 15s and the nines early on in their career, they will implode because on their pull-ups, they're holding too much tension in their thighs, right? On their 
on their thrusters, they're still gripping the crap out of the bar, horrible lat tightness and everything else prevents good blood flow to the lats. And then they come back up for pull-ups and everything's blowing up. And so for us, we'll see that with delimery limited athletes because that all that is is a lactic tolerance test. And all it is is like a, a lactic shunt test. If you can't shift lactate and glucose and glycogen and all those other things yeah. to, the, to the muscles that need them or don't need them, that's your limiter. That's delivery limitation 101. And so, you know, how do we attack that? Okay, so I'll give you a good example of someone who needs localized endurance of the chest. I was just going to ask Because they're a military, <laughs> they're a military athlete. They're going to go into an event where they have a lot of running and rucking and all those other things. But then they have um, some, some smoker events called Team Week and some other things. Uh, pit PT where they're going to have to do a lot of push-ups. And they, when they are under fatigue, their chest and shoulders blow up. Pre-fatigue, they can max PT test all day long. So how do we do that? Well, we use the concept of reciprocal inhibition. What, what that is, is like if I fire my bicep, my tricep has to fire quickly and then relax. Okay? So if I'm doing a bunch of bicep work, I'm actually relaxing my tricep. So what I'll have them do to do localized endurance for a delivery-limited athlete with pressing problems is I'll have them row, let's say 1K, so roughly four minutes of work at a prescribed pace that is truly aerobic, truly holding aerobic. It's not a sprint. And then flip that around and do a heavy bench press, 10 rep max. But do that for five sets. Now what I'm doing is I'm getting the chest to relax as I'm rowing, reciprocal inhibition. Then I come back, everything is relaxed. I come back and I put tension on it. Ramp up the tension for 10 reps, reset with the row and go back and forth. And we can do that with any movement. Yeah. We just have to understand that, that movement pattern and power output demand and use the concept of reciprocal inhibition to our favor, not against us. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun one I like to do as well. Um, utilizing kind of cyclical machines in between some strength pieces. Um, another one that I like to do, I mean, we kind of talked about desatting a little bit, uh, is if we, let's say we're doing – let's say it's like an off season time frame, and we just kind of need to get in some reps similar to the rowing where we're saying, Hey, row 500 meters, your first hundred meters, this pace, second hundred meters or whatever, so on and so forth, where you're still averaging a two minute pace. Oftentimes what I'll do is I'll give a mixed modal work. If it's an advanced athlete, um, let's say four or five sets. And then I want each one to get faster. Therefore their first couple ones, they're kind of learning like, and typically I pair it with, um, contrasting movements, so a push pull, something like that. Um, and what typically what happens is, let's say you do the first round at two minutes, and then 150, 140. Now, if we're doing five sets, the last two sets are going to be pretty desat, but they're able to get in all those prior reps um, and work that energy system without just fully redlining, like we mentioned before. And now it's like, great, you did that time really quickly, but you're still not doing it with the training effect that we want. Yeah. I think uh, one of my notes, one of the key things I wanted to bring up too is, is when working with athletes like this and, and if people don't have Moxie monitors, people don't know how to test, what a lot of my delivery limited athletes, a, a trait across almost all of them is they look jacked. And so when we talk, <laughs> yeah. about, when we talk about, you know, a lot of people understand CrossFit since that's what we're talking about right now. When we talk about the difference between Rich Froning and Matt Frazier versus a Dan Bailey or you know, to a degree, Noah Olson, these guys Nick that look like they, yeah, they stepped off the cover of men's fitness, but like as a fitness model versus Rich and Matt relatively are yeah. not as ripped, right? 
you, you still see all their muscles and everything else, but you don't see every striation of muscle fiber. And that usually is an indicator to me. If I see someone that walks in like Taylor, like Ashley, I'm like, Oh damn. Like, are you a, you a fitness model? Are you a, you know, competitor, figure competitor? What do you do? A lot of that comes from the two main ways we build muscle, right? We build muscle through mechanical tension and through metabolic stress. And we're talking about a delivery limited athlete. We've already talked about it. They hold too much tension. And then that builds up the metabolic byproducts of working out just like you do with blood flow restriction training. So it's like having a tourniquet on while you're training looks great. If you want to body build, that's what you're trying to create mechanical tension, and metabolic <laughs> stress. When we're doing working with CrossFit athletes, it's actually a limiter. So they'll look super jacked and they'll be great. And so, you know, they'll look great, but they won't perform as great as they could relatively. And so when I see that, when I was talking about earlier with modulating tension is if you, if you flip that, that mental image in your head and you're like, what's the opposite of that? It's probably more of an endurance athlete. Endurance athletes don't hold any tension in the bar parts of their body. They're not working with the high level ones, right? Yeah. Their jaws relaxed, their chest is relaxed. They've got no upper body muscle tone because they have super delivery capability. I don't want my athletes to be all the way on that end of the spectrum, but when I dose their endurance work, I'm doing that to relieve the tension in the areas that they shouldn't have it. So that way we may give up a little bit of the aesthetics, but yeah. overall we're making them more fit by removing just systemic tension, resting tension in areas they don't need it to. Yeah. I know one of the fun things that I always do in like rather it's a friend and or a new athlete that's kind of wanting to push limits of CrossFit. Um, and let's say they come from a, a, bat, a bodybuilding background, right? Just holding so much tension. That's literally their sport. You could call it a sport, right? If you're doing a dumbbell bench press, you're trying to maintain tension the entire time in the muscle. I always have them do fight on bed. It's all light movements, right? And, and it, it's not so much to say like, haha, you suck at CrossFit. It's more or less to point out like majority of those people are fit. I've had very aesthetically fit individuals. Um, but what I point out to them when they do that workout is like your body just can't breathe. Like your muscle just can't get oxygen for the 16, 17 minutes, whatever fight on bed is. Um, and that's at the, I think my personal opinion at the purest level of the sport, that's what it means to be elite is if you can go through that workout and just deliver oxygen all day long, you're just going, 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 you take someone who's not used to that and they setting down the bar, setting down the wall ball, can't row. Um, because none of those movements are challenging. There's no hang clean and then there's no double unders. There's no skill piece to it. If you are somewhat of an athlete, you can do five gone bad. And it's just the biggest, it's the clearest picture to me of what it means to be good at CrossFit is to be able to deliver oxygen during mixed model activity. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, like you were saying, the best athletes in the sport have a couple things that, that contribute to that. First and foremost, they move well, right? They're not, they're not trying to force themselves down into the bottom of a squat on an air squat. So now they're, they're not holding extra tension. They don't have to compensate with breathing to get into those positions. So to them, it's just, it's autopilot, right? They move well. So they're just focused on that flow state of breathing and executing the movements needed and sticking to a game plan. Beginner athletes, intermediate level athletes are usually fighting movement restrictions. So that's kinetic leaks, right? They're losing yeah. energy. Um, because of that, they're not breathing well, and then they can't have any sort of game plan because it's reactive. You know, they're like, oh man, I'm going to come out. And because the events are unknown, I'm good if I do wall balls. 
But if I do wall balls and muscle ups, I'm effed. So those two movements are there, right? <laughs> I'm good if I do muscle ups in isolation, but you tie them with wall balls. So, you yeah. know, they have these flaws and these limiters in their, their game that the elite athletes don't. The other thing is each workout in a multi-workout comp, you know, multi competition or even multi-day event has a recovery cost. And for delivery limited athletes, it's a very high recovery cost because their blood flow restricted the whole time. They're yep. building up all that byproducts of, of hard workouts and they're just keeping the muscle locked down. And when muscles locked down, it's ripping muscle fiber. So that great for bodybuilders, not great for our delivery limited athletes. So over a, a two, two to three workout day, three days in a row, by the time those athletes get to day three, they're in such a deeper recovery hole compared to the most elite athletes who are still just fine. That's why it's really interesting to see guys like, you know, one of my athletes, Alan, not delivery limited. He's just a freak. So he'll do some of these workouts where I'm like, okay, I'm going to expect X level of soreness and X level of drop off in his other stuff. But then I go like, if I were to like poke his quad or poke his, his shoulder and be like, oh man, I bet you're super sore and tight. He's not, he doesn't hold that yeah. tension. He's not trying to fight himself for tissue quality. And then over the course of a multi-day event, um, like we just had a beach time throwdown, uh, you know, he's just fine. Eight, eight workouts, I think, nine workouts in um, two days. And so yeah, it's like, okay. you know, and, and podium both days. So it's, uh, it's yeah. pretty impressive to see a guy like that. My delivery limit athletes by day two are just in such a deep recovery debt. We're really, really just trying to do maintenance at that point and hope they do well. Yeah, it just, I mean, you could tie in a bunch of stuff right there. If you listen to the last episode from last week, you could think about tension-limited athletes. It's almost the opposite, right? Like, they're a day or two in, and now they're starting to relax and finally be able to breathe. And so it's, that's right there is a clear picture as well of when we talk about maybe qualifier workouts and the warm-ups that it constitutes, right? Like, myself or someone else might need a different warm-up as someone who's a delivery-limited athlete. Like, just purely based off the – ability to deliver blood um and then when we talked about earlier in the episode i think you just hit on it as well like those delivery athletes that do those 10k recovery rows oh it's just recovery or oh, i'm gonna go run a casual five miler it's kind of similar to like what the vague research shows on cryotherapy right like your body doesn't understand the difference in like in the stress that it just went under so you may think it's recovery but if you're holding tension for that long like your body just thinks it went through a five miler at a 38 minute pace and you were doing it in an hour. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think that's where the whole concept of listen to your body is good and bad. Cause some people are like, Oh, I just need to get out and move. I need to get out and do these other things. Or they'll come tell us what their perceived limiter in a workout was. My legs blew up. Um, you know, my arms blew up or whatever. So we will listen to that. And, and it's a good thing, but it has to be cross validated like with objective measures. So if you're like, my legs blew up and it's like, okay, well, did you do a 10K run yesterday on your recovery day? Then you came in and did wall balls today. Can we repeat that? Can we eliminate it? What can we do? Same thing with like recovery days where it's like, hey, I'm spending 45 minutes on a foam roller and, and then I'm coming in the next day. I should be super recovered or like Ramwad or Gowad. I did an hour of that. But then you watch their movement quality and it's like they are fighting to get into, I don't know, dragon pose or whatever. Like, like, like it's their life it is on the line. It becomes a metabolic workout. Of that's that. it. And they're just like fighting. They're just destroying themselves. And so it's this balance. And I think that's the value of having a coach who's like, Hey, these data points over time, how come your Fridays 
in this certain phase where we always put, you know, knee flexion on Fridays, like how come that was bad? What were you doing on Thursdays? Cause the phase before you were just fine. What did we change? And it's those changes and variables that help us shift the program. You know, I think one other thing I'm going to, uh, you know, throw out with my delivery limited athletes, or at least uh, a struggle is the delivery limited athletes. A lot of times are the higher end athletes that I have, right? Yeah. They're, they're stronger. Um, they can maintain for a good period of time because for them, even their 60%, 80% is faster than a lot of people's 90 or hundred. But at some point, if we're going to make them elite in the sport, we, we got to have almost no limiters. And what those athletes typically skip is the stuff that they need most. And what I mean by that is those, those delivery limited athletes quite often just need the boring work. But since they're elite, it's really hard a lot of the time to step back, do the boring monostructural work, do the boring tissue quality and movement quality drills. They're not a workout. They're just getting them to move better through certain ranges of motion, hold tension in areas they're supposed to hold tension, release it in other areas. And then after that, they, we can build off of it. And I've got a high level gymnast who just started with me, like D1 gymnast. And I mean, the dude's phenomenal at body weight stuff, pretty good with the barbell. But when I have him mix uh, conditioning things, and right now it's literally prescribed rows and something like a dead bug, he loses all body control, <laughs> right? So it's something as simple as hold your, hold your arms and legs up, lay on your back, move opposite arm, opposite leg in unison, touch the floor, come back up. All motor control gone. And it's such a, an intense workout for him or even like a bottoms up kettlebell press half kneeling after a row because for years he's been you know, completely isolated in his gymnastics work, completely isolated in his conditioning work because of the military. But now that he's going into the SF pipeline where both are going to be called upon at certain times, if we don't have that prerequisite level of motor control under a little bit of breathing challenge, we shouldn't be loading it. We shouldn't be doing it under a ton of fatigue and high intensity, but it's yeah. really boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I always look at the, when I intake an athlete and I look at their experience level, where I run them through some testing, I kind of determine where I think they are. Um, the, the cycle they go through, right? Like I was like, like beginners, you're doing bodybuilding. Like, you're doing functional bodybuilding, learn to contract muscle, right? And you get in that like middle range where you're starting to learn how to do mixed modal work and do it effectively. And then what a good workout really looks like. And then the advanced people almost go backwards. It's like, cool, now we're going single modality. You just have to maintain your elite fitness level. Um, or we're going to start pulling some tricks out like lactate retention training where you're grabbing a 25 pound dumbbell and begging for mercy yeah <laughs> like, I mean, like little stuff like that, that that's going to take them over the one percent that they need yeah that's, and at, you know, at that point it turns into at some point it, it has to turn into a volume thing where like, like if you're going to be aerobic like all right what's aerobic for a moderate athlete cool go row a 5k go do 30 minutes of a around the world session go do x amount of reps elite athletes you're talking let's go sit on a bike for an hour an hour and a half at a prescribed pace that's not comfortable yeah. <laughs> like you're not on instagram for that yeah like yeah. you're not cruising on your phone you're locked in got some music playing and you're going for an hour and and you know the last thing that i kind of have here is is exactly what you're talking about is um delivery limited athletes one of the biggest things we have to work on with them is you've got you've got local tension like in a certain muscle belly like say the bicep 
then you've got systemic tension. Like while you're doing a row or a run or whatever, like say we're running and you're holding too much tension in your bicep. If we see that consistently pop up in certain movements, we can try and change everything from muscle fiber typing with like lactate retention, like you talked about. We can try and change the delivery to get there and build the capillary bed, build other stuff with like conditioning. But at the end of the day, there also is the mind muscle connection that a lot of bodybuilders have talked about for years. If they are not present in the workout to release that tension and be aware of what they're doing through the movement, they're never going to maximize their training. And that's why I think a lot of people will cover some of their training, uh, I'll say shortcomings with volume and intensity, right? So a newer uh, athlete will get fall into the trap of seeing what CrossFit Games athletes are doing. And instead of working on, you know, the prerequisites of a pistol, they'll do a bunch of crappy pistol work or, or some things that look like pistols in a high intensity workout and call that a day. Like, oh, great job. I just did a workout with all of the things instead of, hey, I'm going to add some tempo because I suck at movement control. I'm going to add some pauses because I don't own my end range, you know, and yeah. then eventually I'm going to add intensity. I'm going to add volume. It's easy to add volume to cover for a lack of ability to do something. Yeah, that's my favorite too. It's like rowing intervals and then doing uh, parallel, uh, parallel handstand push-up negatives. Like, you get these elite athletes that could do 30, 40 plus uh, handstand push-ups unbroken. It's like, all right, cool. Just give me a three-second uh, lower from a full overhead extension position. And all of a sudden, they're, like, they're shaking, fall on the ground. Like their yep. row pace drops. It's like, bro, like these are simple things that can you could that you don't even have to do the volume. You don't have to do all the crazy shit to get better if you just work on the little things like positioning and being able to relax. Yeah, and and to to play devil's advocate too. You know, you've got the other side of the camp that's like, oh, never never go highly complex stuff. Never never progress beyond quote unquote perfect form, and they don't ever actually push themselves enough to progress you've got to go just fast enough, just hard enough, just, you know, intense enough to see speed wobbles, right? Anybody that's ever yeah. rode a bike or rode a motorcycle has been like, okay, I'm pretty good at this speed, but above a certain speed, I'll get a little wobbly and then I'll go fast and I'll smooth out. And then at a certain point, you're going to hit those speed wobbles again. And, and, and when it's triple digit speed, I can tell you those are pretty scary, but you got to know where those speed wobbles are. You don't go until you crash into the wall, but you have to feel that out because just yeah. like you talked about, it's all movement specific. You may get someone who has a training history of, of a decade plus playing, I don't know, soccer, right? And then anything lower body and energy system development and anything delivery, they're fine, right? Yeah. Got a high level rugby player just that way. But as soon as you add an upper body demand, wheels fall off. Speed wobbles come out like crazy. So you have to do that. Every workout is a data point. Every workout is a test. But at the same time, like you have to push the athlete enough to see that. Otherwise you're just training in isolation and, and you're never taking the training wheels off. Yeah, no, that's good. All right, guys. So that's, that's, uh, we, we went pretty long on this one. Jeremy and I could probably nerd on this out, nerd out on this forever because we, we do it in our free time anyway. Uh, but hopefully you guys got something out of it. Um, please hit us with more um, feedback. Uh, I've been told personally, this case study last week was really beneficial for a lot of our tactical athletes and they really liked it. Um, so hopefully this week with the delivery limited CrossFit athletes, um, we can kind of hit some of those questions that we got. And then lastly, like there's always a combination of all of those. It's just kind of which one is more predominant.
Um, you yep. can always be stronger. You can always be faster. You can always have a better delivery system. Um, but because we're humans, you're always going to have a limiter somewhere in the system. It's just the way it works. So I think this is just a good way if you're assessing your training to the answer just always isn't, Oh, suck at rowing. Got to do more rowing. Oh, suck at wall balls. Got to do more wall balls. Like there's a why behind it. So be, or be intelligent enough or get with one of us to talk about it. <laughs> we can help you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what we love to do. So, um, we'd love to hear you guys, uh, hear your questions, hear your feedback on this as always hit us up on, on the socials or, uh, you know, come in in person. We'd love to have you. I'd love to see you put you through our tests and then let you know what we think. Um, and then hopefully help you get whatever goal you're trying to achieve knocked out. So that's it for this week, guys. Um, as always, we'll sign off with our mantra of get better every day.